0: The NBA Finals are through three games, and Ridiculous Knicks rumors are already back. I'm Brian Gibberman, and it's another edition of the Knicks Wall Podcast, here with Seth Partnow. Seth, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fine this morning, thanks.
0: And Seth does some stuff for uh, the Washington Post, and you also have your... Own, you do Hickory High, Clipper blog, and your own website, which is – what? what's the address on your own website?
1: It's Wh- uh, whereoffensehappens.com.
0: Yeah, and as I see it there, there's a podcast there. He does a bunch of good stuff. We, and you do stuff for B-Ball Breakdown
1: also? I've, I've, I've worked with Coach Nick, yeah.
0: Okay, so you, there's a bunch of places to go see that stuff, and you can follow him on Twitter at whr. O-F-F-N-S H-P-P-N-S. You gotta change that so it's easier to plug when you go on podcasts and stuff.
1: So I've been told.
0: (laughs) I was about to say it. I was like, wait a second. If I say this, no one's gonna know. Also, I had two requests on Skype this morning. I really wasn't sure if it was you. I had one from Glitter Grills 352. Are we sure? uh, Did I get the right one?
1: Uh, that's uh, yes. Uh, um, that doesn't sound like my bag, but...
0: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to get a nice little porn bot request on Skype when you wake up in the morning. Uh, let's start with the Knicks. Um, what what team do you root for?
1: Uh, uh, you know, as, as I've started to write more about the NBA, I think it's... Uh, uh, you know, Zach Lowe wrote a piece earlier this year about, you know, your fandom receding. And there's a little bit of that, but, I mean, if I had... The team that I grew up cheering for and mostly cheer for now is the Celtics. So, apologies.
0: Oh, no, <laughs> I, mean, it's, it's, I don't hate you. I just hate Paul yeah. Pierce and Kevin Garnett. That's okay. Um, so you you guys don't go through haven't had to deal with this as much as Knicks fans. And when you have the stuff that comes out, actually happens. So there's that part too. But yeah, we're with Phil now and the cap space again. We're getting to the point where, and LeBron and Kevin Durant being free agents, we're reaching this point where the Knicks are getting linked to them again, and it's sure. it's frustrating. It's annoying. It's just uh, it's just it seems unrealistic to me. Is there a slight chance it could happen?
1: Um, I I don't know. I I I really don't see it. And you know, don't don't beat the Knicks fan base up too much over this because. Uh, if you look at the opposite coast then you get, you know, just the heights of, of of ridiculousness of, you know, the whole future Laker thing where next year they're starting, you know, nineteen eighty eight Michael Jordan, Kevin Love, Rajon Rondo and and Kobe Bryant who's will have magically healed himself if you, you know, listen to 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 Laker fans. So, you know, the 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 hopeful well maybe that you get from it seems like it is the most that reasonable Nick fans are, are are coming out with isn't can't really hold a candle in terms of of, of ridiculous optimism there. Um, beyond that, to the specifics of, of those two, um, I, I I I really can't see it for both guys who are you know very much in the part of their careers where anything any season that doesn't end in the championship is a is a disappointment, and you know even with a top 2 player in the league is the Knicks roster really there. So I, I you know I I don't see it happening.
0: Uh I don't see it happening, but then this is something that I've never been uh they should get rid of mellow person. I never thought they should have traded him. I think they should resign him. The reason part of the reason you bring him back is because of however slight a chance it is, whatever percentage that slightness is, is because Mello's on your roster. He has a relate, he has, those guys want to come and play with a player, like whatever his perception is to media, to fans, that's not what his perception is to these guys in the league. They're, these are his boys they respect his game and they think he's really good they pro- they think he's better than most media and most fans do so having him in place gives you a shot to get more respected highly higher valued free agents
1: yeah that's that, that's fair although i mean you, you... You talk about, um, uh, you know, wanting to play with Melo. I mean, that I think that goes maybe both ways a little bit. I think we're hearing, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, again, Zach Lowe was talking on Simmons' podcast probably 10 days ago about the, the kind of the underground rumors of maybe Melo goes to Miami to form a super-duper team or something like that. So it's
0: – that We that, don't bring up that rumor on this podcast.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Well, you might have to edit that out. But uh, <laughs> but the point is that's that's, you know – the, uh, I think from you know people having played with Mello on the Olympic team and stuff like that that the uh, the desire to play together is a, is a two way street. So, I, well seeing what you're saying in the in the lure of playing with a you know a star player like Mello and you know I think New York City and Madison Square Garden definitely have cachet. It just doesn't seem like the time is right now. Durant's on a slightly different schedule, so maybe that that gives the Knicks some time, but. Yeah,
0: well, uh, the angle of them playing together is if they both opt in, and it would, it would actually it would be free. It would be after not this summer, but the the next one. All right, let's move on to the NBA Finals. The NBA <laughs> Finals is going sure. on. Let's talk about things that are realistic and are actually happening, and not something that's never going to happen. Um, game three, and it's followed pretty much the same pattern as last year. What feels different to you about the first three games this year compared to what happened last year?
1: Um, I feel like the I, I expected the heat to be a little worse. Um, I'm actually surprised at how frayed their roster is right now. I mean you just you, you they uh it's almost like they're running out of guys who can be on the court at, at this at the level that this finals is being uh, played at and, and that's even getting you know marvelous contributions from Richard Lewis. Um, I mean, you know Cole and Chalmers have both been terrible. I think North Chalmers number uh, Cole's numbers uh, aren't, aren't great. He at least hasn't made you know two head scratching plays a quarter like Chalmers has, but still they're getting nothing from that spot. Um, they obviously really miss Mike Miller. Uh, just in terms of his ability to hit shots and kind of, you know, credibly defend bigger Spurs players, so that's that's really the the, the biggest surprise to me is is kind of just you know the 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 weakness kind of uh, five through fifteen of, of of the Heat.
0: Throw this out there, isn't Lewis kind of basically what Mike Miller was last year, and the problem more what they're not getting from the other guys
1: uh, you know maybe though at the same time uh, I, I mean Shane Battier and, and Udonis Haslam were were uh I think he's cl- maybe closer to what Battier gave them to, to what to what Miller gave them um and and again Haslam was was playable last year and he's you know kind of uh almost in the mascot role this year rather than, than, a, than a playing role and that. A little bit holds true for Battier also so and they just you know you're getting, they're, they're trotting out James Jones it's it's not pretty.
0: no, I like that you're right. Lewis is more Battier than than Mike Miller that that's a better comparison
1: and, and th- if I can interrupt you, I think that there, there's one thing I kind of noticed last night a little bit and and the, the difference is is you know Miller, even if he's not shooting and and can't really move as well anymore. Any uh he's he's a re- great passer and moves the ball well and and uh lewis it's still when he catches the ball it just stops for a second and again that's kind of a big difference between just watching the teams on offense is how rapidly the ball moves side to side for the spurs and really isn't for the, the heat and so that's kind of that that little that just that tiny drop off you know is is really is really showing up i feel like in, in just that that that's tiny area, and that's making a huge difference on the court.
0: And I'm saying this blind, without looking at stats, but my guess is Miller was a better rebounder over the course of his career than Lewis. Also,
1: that uh, that, that that sounds right. Although that may be, you know, just you know, Miller was a good rebounder for a a swingman, and and Lewis was a poor rebounder for a kind of a tweener, uh, small forward, power forward. So. um you know maybe they're maybe they're they're equivalent but you know the spot they're taking on the floor miller was definitely uh a a relatively better rebounder
0: yeah and that that's why i said that that was blind and what you just said definitely made sense it could just be that we looked at it because of the positions they played that we thought miller was better and they're really equal the the mario chalmers thing is
1: interesting it, that, as as an Alaskan, he's 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 from Anchorage where I live, and as as an Alaskan, it, it it's kind of hurtful to me to see how how bad he's been. Let's he "Say
0: he um, look, was he ever an All Star caliber player? No, but he kind of just fit well on that team because he could hit, catch, and shoot threes. He he tried hard on defense. He could even create a little bit at times, and it's just." It's all falling apart, and he wasn't afraid to take big shots. Also, he would shoot the ball, and he didn't hesitate. And right now, he's just a mess, and it's really hurting that team.
1: Yeah, and he's—I he's, mean—he's a mess on, on really on both ends, too. I mean, he, both he and and uh, and and Cole have just been completely un, un, unable to stay in front of Parker for for large parts of the series, and that's you know when when the Spurs are hitting. You know, I, I didn't look again after last night to to what what percentage of threes they're hitting, but it's it's you know, it was, they were like twenty five of fifty one through through two games, and and they certainly seemed like they made a lot of shots last night. Uh, so um, and a lot of that is you know Parker getting into the lane and putting the heat into rotations, and and then the ball finding the open person who you know calmly steps into a three and knocks it down quite frequently, and and. You know, it kind of starts from Miami's inability to, to keep the ball out of the middle of the floor.
0: And this is, we Ethan Skolnick brought this up, and it's something that I had been paying attention to and tracked with the Heat for a really long, for the a lot of last year, because the Knicks had success against them, and they did it a very specific way. It's You attack their pick-and-roll defense, you move the ball, and you hit open threes. And as you said, the Spurs are thirty four of seventy one from threes in this series. And when you look at it, when you look at their win loss splits, there is this perception that when Miami struggled against these big teams like Indiana, and it really isn't, where they where they lose is when they lose the three point battle and they lose the turnover battle. That is how you beat the Miami Heat.
1: Yeah, and Again, miami's is. It was most notable last night, but Miami's having all kinds of problems, and a lot of this is, is credit to San Antonio. Both you know the, their their roster and just how you know well they're playing. They're having a, a really hard time just getting you know pressure on the ball, and that's that's allowing the Spurs to you know move the ball all over the court, and then you know Miami's working to try to 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 rotate and recover, but they're just having to run too far. And, you know, there's there's gaps, and, and that's that's what's happening.
0: And there's always, and the other thing is, and the Spurs don't, per se, Popovich said this in his press conference, they don't attack mismatches, per se, but Miami's always having, there's always someone on the court that they can pick on, whether it yeah. be Ray Allen, it was James Jones last night, who drew a, Matt Bonner drew a foul on for free right. throws, Wade, there's always someone out there that they can kind of attack, and once they break that down, that puts everything into motion with their offense, as you were discussing.
1: Yeah, and that's you know th- that's something that they're they're phenomenal at is they don't you know they they get this they, they don't attack a mismatch necessarily to say, all right, uh, Boris Dia, you have Richard Lewis on him, on you, go score. I mean, sometimes that happens, but more often that happens is he gets his shoulder by him, beats him to the middle a little bit, and then a couple guys come to help, and then, you know, uh, DL kicks the ball to the next guy, and all of a sudden, you know, Danny Green, who's not going to beat anybody, a set defender off the dribble, catches the ball, but if Ray Allen's sprinting out on him, then he he beats him by the dribble, and it just kind of cascades from there. And, you know, that's kind of been happening. Like you say, they just find the one spot on the floor where they can create that initial advantage, and then from there they just kind of... You know, keep picking at it and picking at it until they get an open shot somewhere.
0: Uh, my with Miami, Bosh, uh, he played really well the first two games. I saw the stat floating around somewhere that he had, he only got twelve touches last night. Did you see anything specifically with why he wasn't as involved in the offense?
1: Um, they just they're you know in contrast to San Antonio's ball movement it was it was really slow around the perimeter last night and you know a lot of that was i think lebron kind of was like all right we're not really in this game um i i'm, I'm going to have to impose you know on it and and really and you know become really ball dominant and take over and you know to be fair to him uh, uh, when they uh, excuse me when they made their big run in the third quarter um you know that's you know that was that was a big part of it. it. Was him, you know, just kind of being a Hulk in the middle of the floor and getting to the lane and either scoring himself or, or setting people up. Uh, but yeah, I think that that you know, with kind of getting out of running, kind of the, a lot of the pick and rolls and, and and stuff that they've that they've been doing, it kind of necessarily took Bosh out of the game.
0: And LeBron kept them when it was somewhat close in the first quarter. He was single handedly yeah that reason. Something that I've been watching, and I'm really, really, I've brought this up on Twitter a bunch of times, and I'm really surprised they haven't done it more. When LeBron sets a screen, they either get a switch with him on, the, the Spurs are switching on a decent amount, or when he pops, he gets about 10 feet of space that he can either shoot or then, or just wait and attack the mismatch, and instead of doing that, they've been putting the ball in his hands a lot, and that's something that's really surprised yeah. me.
1: Yeah. No, and and one thing about that though is is, you know, earlier in the playoffs we got the, you know, the ridiculousness of, you know, LeBron being too unselfish, you know, you know, pat when he, you know, made the wide open pass to Bosch for the three that could have ended the Indiana series a game earlier. I will like that's that's that that was a kind of a ridiculous narrative. I will say that, you know, that that is kind of one spot where his unselfishness maybe is is too much. Is you're talking about when he, you know, he gets the ball with an open look on that pop. He doesn't. He's not always in, in, instantly looking to shoot. There. He's he's kind of looking to what's the what's the uh, the 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 play I can make to get to the basket or get my teammate an open shot. When you know the open shot on the floor is is LeBron just catching and shooting. So maybe that's something that they can they can. Uh, you know, imp- use a little bit more because he's actually, you know, if you look at the numbers, he's been one of the best catch-and-shoot players in the NBA for the season, which is, you know, seems bizarre because you think of all his talents and, you know, catch-and-shoot greatness isn't one of them, but he really, you know, in ter- I think he was second to Kyle Korver in terms of three-point accuracy on just catching and shooting, which is ridiculous.
0: He's just so, the best at
1: everything. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> it's unfair. Yeah. So,
1: but in general, I I I agree with you, and that's you know I think part of that is is uh, attributable to you know Chalmers especially just being disastrous. Is he's the guy you 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 have as the ball handler in that situation most likely, but he's you know he's not able to do anything in terms of making good decisions in those spots right now. So you know, what are you going to do? I think there was uh one play last night where they actually tried that I think it was the if you recall the one where you know the ball bounced around and Patty Mills dove head first to tip the ball ahead to Ginobili for the dunk and I think that was the that that was they were running that that uh, Chalmers uh James pick and roll and you know LeBron was open and and uh, Chalmers was late and inaccurate with the pass and it was a turnover so you know, you can you can you can try to run it, but but uh, if it's not executed well by your point guard, then it, it doesn't work either.
0: And you, that that's a very good point. Because the, the, a couple times I did run it, and LeBron would just be standing there all by himself, and Chalmers just put his head down and ran towards the basket. Nothing good happened. Well, why not use Wade as the ball handler with LeBron sending the picks?
1: I, yeah, that's that's one I don't know. I, that's 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 something they they strangely have have never really done a lot of, and and uh, it, it, it's I guess you don't know why. I mean, I you know if you're I guess the one thing there is is given the two people who are guarding them, that's probably a pretty easy pick and roll to switch. I mean, if you end up with Leonard on on Wade and Danny Green on LeBron, uh, if you're you know you're you're still pretty happy with how your defense is set up, so. Yeah, maybe that's one reason. Although again, that's maybe maybe something worth trying.
0: And watching Wade, it's it's really, his lack of athleticism is just it's stunning to me. Like he had that play last night where he made the great cut, and he missed the layup because I think he thought he was going to be able to get up, rise, and dunk it, and he just he didn't even come close, and. It speaks to almost how skilled he is that he's able to pull off being a somewhat decent player, losing what was arguably one of his best attributes, but him playing at the speed he does seems to just really kill this Miami team.
1: Yeah, I think I mean was was it game two that he kinda it seemed like he maybe tweaked something, or was that in game one?
0: Oh um, yeah, you're right. I don't remember what game it was, but I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, you're absolutely right that he just doesn't have you know he doesn't have a lot of lift right now. He's still kind of, he's still you know physically imposing and very strong, and that's that's getting him a lot of, you know, get, getting him a lot of looks. On the other hand, though, I he's hasn't been super effective um, just overall, even though his numbers are good. Uh, individual plus minus isn't the best stat, but it can occasionally tell things. He's something like minus thirty five over the course of the series, which is you know, I, I don't think Miami can 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 uh, can 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 win against this team if if you know if, if Wade is is getting beaten that badly while he's on the court.
0: And that's where your Mike Miller point comes in. Is last year they could afford to play without Wade being on the court this year it's a little bit harder for them to pull off those lineups
1: yeah and then you know you start to you know Ray Allen you start to extend his minutes a little bit and you know his defense suffers certainly and and you know he's has he still physically looks the same but it's just the 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 degradation in this game is is just you know noticeable in a lot of little subtle ways. I mean there was the play last night where he he got the ball in a fast break and kind of threw up a wild twisting layup and that's you know two years ago that was probably a dunk and it's just it's you know so you, can you extend his minutes anymore? I don't know. and, and again, so it's just that the, the, the weakness kind of in in, de, in the depth of their roster and the number of guys that they can't play. I mean, maybe maybe it, may it it's worth you know dusting off Haslam just as a a guy who can eat some minutes, and that's and that's kind of a sad comment on on the state of the team. I mean, people on Twitter are calling for giving Tony Douglas a look, and,
0: and I saw that. That's no, <laughs> I,
1: you know, it's not a it's not a good idea, but you can you know, okay, <laughs> it. Uh, could it be worse than than what what Chalmers has given them so far? Yes. <laughs> All right <then. laughs>
0: Definitely yes. Um, I think I give Battier a shot again before going to anyone else.
1: Yeah, and he's and he's looked you know done it at, at, at many different times this postseason, and he's you know, he, I mean, he knows this is the end of the road for him, and it's it's time. So you know. You just want to you, you can criticize Spolster for his moves, but it's it's I that does, it doesn't seem fair to me because none of none of the moves seems obviously correct or, or even particularly desirable in a vacuum that that he has available to him, and it's just a, it might just be a situation where they're just not good enough to to. Absence, you know, absurd LeBron and maybe Bosch efforts to, to beat this uh, Spurs team.
0: It's it, Rashard Lewis has saved their asses. It's crazy. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I never saw that coming.
1: I mean, exactly. I mean, they've they've gotten all they could have possibly hope for him, from him, and then some uh, in, in in this series, and and it still, you know, it hasn't. He, you know it's it's a series is 2 to 1 and it's it's uh, it's tempting to be overreaction guy and, and say it's over but you know man the the uh, aside from aside from lebron the spurs have, have just looked better for a fair bit of this series
0: but then you spin it and if lebron doesn't get cramps in game 1 the heat might be up 2 to 1 in this series yeah. which is crazy
1: uh, that's true but i mean it could also very easily be that uh that uh that they they come back to miami you know uh, down to nothing if if things go a little bit different at the end of of game 2 i mean it's a you know extremely uh, entertaining uh you know kind of chess match going on right now but and you know we could be if we talk again in 2 days uh, Know well the the Spurs couldn't handle Miami doing this or that, and it's and 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 I w- it wouldn't be at all surprised if that, that happened. And we just kind of traded back and forth a little bit because if you remember back, even though last year's re- was remembered as a very close series, uh, games kind of two through five were all kind of uh, blowouts. So uh, it's just kind of one team kind of finds a, a, a secret on on a given night, and then and then that game isn't competitive, and then. You know the the opponent readjusts, but yeah,
0: it's Boris Diaw. I don't think <laughs> it, it. I don't think there's a. Uh, that's hyperbole. There's not many team to player fits in the league than Boris Diaw in the San San Antonio Spurs. Is how yeah. I would
1: put it. No, that's. uh, I think that that that, that's kind of fair because I mean the you know the greatness of Pop is that he he uh, he you know puts players into positions to do what they can do and doesn't ask them to do what they can't do and you know that sounds simple but uh, and on some levels it is but you know finding finding guys who can be effective doing you know just what they do is is uh, you know uh, an art in and of itself but then again he you know okay so he's not super, he's not that quick he's not the best defender he doesn't shoot very well uh we don't care we're going to you know we're going to ask him to hit corner threes and and uh relieve pressure on the perimeter and make plays uh when you know uh, his defender is rotating out to him and and he'll be super effective doing that and it's you know uh, it it's it, it's, it's, exactly. It's just kind of the, the Spurs identifying what a guy is good at and writing and that for all it's worth.
0: True true story here. During, I think it was the 10-11 season, and I wanted Amari off the Knicks. It, Boris was still on the Bobcats. I, on Twitter, incessantly annoyingly, repeatedly said the Knicks should trade Amari for Boris Diaw and Dizana Jop in the expiring years of their contracts to the Bobcats. And then he went on to get cut, go to the Spurs, and be completely useful, even though he was a gigantic human.
1: Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, motivation is a real thing, apparently. I mean, yeah. it's not. It's unprofessional, but uh, where the Bobcats were at the time, you can't. You can't. Uh, you can understand how how you know a guy who's been a veteran player and you know when he was in Phoenix in the conference finals or thereabouts every year could kind of uh, you know check out a little bit in, in, in that situation, and you know, and you know, in a better situation is is more focused, um, though maybe not on his conditioning.
0: And we're we're also talking about someone who had problems with disinterest when he was on a good team with the Suns. Him, the dynamic with him and Amari was always a little weird in Phoenix.
1: Yeah, uh, and, you know, part of that was, was him, you know, being a young guy and being kind of too deferential, if I remember back, back to that. Like, I think it was the, the, his kind of breakout year was the year that Amari was injured and missed the playoffs. And, and that was, and he sort of was almost the Suns' best player. I don't mean, don't want to say that with, with Nash around, but he was you know he was putting up triple doubles it seemed like nightly in in, in in those playoffs. You know what I mean?
0: Um, there I I wrote a pretty extensive Amari Stoudemire story a couple of years ago. The Suns' on off on off court numbers with Boris were pretty much similar to Amari's two peak years. Amari might have been slightly better if I remember, but Boris was on point that year with Amari's peak years, and he was better than a bunch of those Amari seasons where he wasn't playing at that ridiculous level, because he wasn't as much of a train wreck on defense, and he, while he wasn't the same player in the pick and roll, what he did on offense was more than enough to keep the Suns functioning at a high level.
1: That's, I mean, you know, you, you would never think that again looking at them, but that's, you know, it's, you know, switching gears slightly, that's kind of one thing that, that's sort of becoming draft season, and, you know, you, you do the measurables, and this guy has this much of a vertical and, and so on, but then you do, but the can he play test, and, and you know, if you want to talk about a guy who can, just play. I think uh, Dial kind of uh, almost embodies that at the at, at, at right now. Just in terms of being able to make quick, accurate decisions with and without the ball, and that's it's. And he's obviously been extremely fun to watch, uh, basically since he started, uh, you, since he became a prominent player in the Oklahoma City series.
0: Well, uh, switching gears, as you just said, I'm going to steal that. Um, okay. Let's talk about the Celtics for a little bit. Since you're a Salt fan, what, um, what, how do I want to start this? The just, what do you think the direction there, the love stuff's all out there, uh, Rondo's in a weird situation. Where do you kind of see the direction of that team going?
1: Um, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't hate this, the spot we're in. We're definitely in a, in a spot, I say we. Uh, the, the Celtics are definitely in a spot where uh, you know they're doing a good job collecting assets and, and nice young pieces and, and draft picks, and and it's kind of, it's approaching the time where where uh, and they're a little bit like Phoenix in this regard, even though Phoenix is probably further along, um, or definitely further along in that you know they they have a, a, a good number of assets and they're definitely at the part where they need to start you know cashing them in to you know turning turning four quarters into a dollar. Uh, kind of thing, and whether that's that's Kevin Love, I don't know. I don't. I I don't see an up, an offer they can make to the Wolves that I would be wild about accepting if I was the Wolves. Um, now, it, could that happen? Sure. Um, I'm not as as high on Kevin Love as a, as a lot of people are, though. I mean, I think it depends on certainly, like if if they can trade the number six pick for him, obviously you do that. But, I mean, if you're talking about the number six pick and, you know, uh, future picks and, you know, a couple young players, then I'm saying, where does does that get you? Uh, So, um, I I think, you know, before I get myself in trouble, I think it's, I mean, the the difference between, you know, if Kevin Love is the, just to pick a number, the eighth best player uh, in the NBA, uh, the five spots between him and, say, Chris Paul are... uh, Exceptionally meaningful as far as you know what he brings to a team. As kind of, we're always going to be pretty good if we have this guy on our team, and and that and I think that that matters kind of when you're talking about a lot of these deals uh, where teams are, you know, talking about you know backing up the truck for a Godfather offer. It's the kind of thing where, you know, it, it's it's an obvious statement, but still it needs to be restated. I think is you know we're not trading for LeBron James here. We're trading for a guy who's you know. Two notches below, and that's and those two notches are exceptionally meaningful.
0: Okay, there's two there's two things out of that that I got to hit on now with you. Go ahead. The thing, let's let's start with the what's on the Celtics. I think the biggest difference between the Celtics and the Suns are I like the Suns' young players significantly more than I like the Celtics. Jared Solinger.
1: Kelly Olnick, uh, who else is there? I mean, depending on what they do with him, Avery Bradley. Um, him,
0: him, I act, I know that he's coming up on restricted free age. He, yeah. I, I know he didn't play as well this year. He, I actually like. He's probably my favorite out of all their younger players. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I, I don't know. I mean, what's Kelly Olnick turn into in this league? Jared solinger has got back problems and he's a fat guy um
1: <laughs> well that i you know both of those guys i think is sullinger i mean he as he starts to develop more of the three-point range he's he's an remains an exceptional rebounder uh that's that's a a, a a not a not a terrible piece i mean if you, you're right about you know if, if the weight comes down a little bit and he's able to to move his feet a little better on defense he's obviously uh, a better player, but I mean, analogizing to the Suns, I mean, obviously, completely different body types, but uh, you know, Channing Fry is a, is, a, is an effective player, and you know, a guy who can who can rebound uh, on D and and credibly, you know, guard the four man in a pick and roll, and then on offense, space the floor. That's a valuable commodity in the NBA these days.
0: You could and, all, but the little bit of a difference there is, you can get away with Fry playing the five. Yeah. And when you're making a trade, let's just use if you say you were putting Fry in it, he's not going to be the best player in that package. When you're looking at right. the Celtics, I mean, Solinger's the best young player they can pretty much include in that package, which is that you're right. That just doesn't seem all that attractive to me.
1: Yeah, and uh, uh, and on, yeah, Olenek had a really rough you know first couple months of the season but uh you know i don't i don't have the the stats in front of me but the the last i don't want to say six weeks of the season he was you know and again super grain of salt that uh you know a player on a super lotto team puts up nice numbers over you know the last two months of the season that's that that, there's a fair amount of of uh, of so what about that because you know you're you're playing in a lot of who cares games but um still it's you know if if he can producing in, in that situation is better than not so you know he's you know again he was looked like not an nba player for you know a couple months but then turned it around and could you know it's hard to say exactly what he will be i mean i don't know a super poor man's gasol is that to, you know I, that's i don't know i don't know how much that that moves the needle but you know uh, a decent version of of, of of Pau Gasol isn't isn't an awful player.
0: <laughs> and, and to be clear, I'm not writing Olnick yeah. off. I, he 100% can be a rotation player in this yeah. league. In April, he averaged 16.7 boards on 54% shooting overall and 42% from three. So, I mean, yeah, that, he had a terrific month right there. And in March, not as good, but 10... <laughs> 51 percent shooting, forty-five percent from three. I mean, that's nothing to be ashamed of either. So you're right. Yeah, he did close the season pretty solidly. What worries you about Kevin Love? It would—is it, it how a, a, a dif-
1: couple things?
0: All right, go ahead. Just yeah, take I mean, it from there. I mean,
1: obviously, I mean, the the his his defense is controversial. Um, I, I think I've in a number of forums I've I you know I've I I've said about it he doesn't protect the rim he uh at least on the team that he's on now he uh conserves energy a fair amount and, and doesn't defend the pick and roll as well as he might because he uh either is like I said conserving energy or wants to stay near the rim to to get rebounds um and then on the offensive and and uh, you know unlike you know say a James Harden who's you know a worse defensive player uh James Harden is also playing a defensive position where you can get away with it a little bit more, even though, you know, as brutal as he is, it still gets exposed. I mean, James Harden doesn't actually have to improve that much on defense to be, uh, oh, we'll live with his bad defense, as opposed to that's an embarrassment and it's killing us. Um, You know, Kevin Love being a a weak defender at at one of the the big positions, I mean, those, those are... You know the important defensive positions are the four and the five with all the pick and roll and and you know rim attacks that people are doing and and that just makes it you know you have to who do you who do you put him next to uh and you know not nikola pekovich not yeah you know <laughs> you know in, like it's the kind of thing that individually you can get away with either one of those guys but together it's kind of it, it kind of builds on itself and then on offense i mean the uh uh, he's actually a very dependent player. I think uh, uh, the only kind of guy who's a big volume scorer who is, uh, was assisted on a, a higher percentage of his made field goals this year was Anthony Davis. And, you know, Anthony Davis is a, uh, fair to say, more dynamic player who, you know, is catching the ball and dunking in the pick and roll and stuff like that. So that and that has you know you talk about the Timberwolves late game struggles. I think a lot of that or or some of that is attributable to uh, uh, you know their their best player being a guy who isn't necessarily a guy who can thrive in kind of a late game ice heavy situation. And you know when we're again we're talking about the small gradations of you know the very top players and those things matter. I mean you come down you you get into the playoffs and. You know, you, you're, you're a team that trades for Kevin Love, and he's your best player, and there's there's a minute and a half left in a game, you're down one point, you need a bucket. How do you get him to get you a bucket? It's, uh, you know, with a, a guy like a, even a Carmelo, who is, you know, overall probably a lesser player, but in that situation, you'd much rather have Carmelo as your best player than Kevin Love. And, you know, when, when you're you're, you're climbing that championship ladder. That's the kind of thing that 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 matters. That doesn't necessarily matter when you're you know over 82 games and you're playing, you know, 45 games against teams that that are that are you know hopeless that you can you know you you can beat up on just on sheer talent. So that's that's those are my reservations, and you know that's going to come off as a, like I'm like I'm hating, but I mean I think he's you know. <laughs> A you know a, a perennial all star in this league and and a, and a great talent. He just you know just the, the the gaps between you know guys like him and guys like frankly Paul George and the the really top level superstars uh, you know yeah makes a lot of difference in terms of of how much you should be willing to to give up to to acquire them.
0: It's With guys like Kevin Love, it's very important how you build the team around him. Like LeBron James, you just stick him on any team, and it's going to work because of his versatility. With Love, you, it's, I mean, it's really simple. You need a high-usage winger point guard that can create, have the ball in their hands, and then you need a rim-defending center. Next to him, if you're building a championship-level team with Kevin Love on it, that's what you need. Minnesota hasn't had that the last two years. That's why they've struggled.
1: Yeah, and you know, and and if you're if if you're backing up the truck to acquire Kevin Love, uh, where do you where do you get those pieces? Uh, in a way, that's that, that's kind of why I think that uh, that Phoenix has been one of the the, the more interesting possible uh, definition that. Uh, destinations for them, just because they have, you know, some young pieces and a whole ton of draft picks and stuff like that, and they have, you know, that 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 uh, that high usage, high efficiency point guard in in Gordon Dragic, and and you know, the, uh, if if they can if they can do the deal without trading like Len and Miles Plumley, uh, one of those two guys could, uh, you know, both of those guys did decently well protecting the rim this season now they both had weaknesses other places but you know you can kind of start to see how your team gets that gets there from here i mean uh you know a team starting you know uh Dragic and gerald green and pj tucker and kevin love and miles Plumley. that's a that's an interesting team depending on on how much of the of the bench i'm mean, i'm assuming that you know blood would, so would would have to go the other way in that deal is, is why i'm I'm lining the team up that way. That's...
0: I actually call. Co- I cover. I live in Phoenix, so I cover the Suns and for a web for a website out here.
1: Okay.
0: Um, Plumlee's defense kind of fell off as the season went on. I think if you're building a championship level team, he's a nice piece. But I also think he's your first big off the bench. Um, that lineup you brought up would be a complete disaster on defense. You when, think? Oh yes, when they they were basically a top five team defensive rating when Bledsoe played, when Bledsoe was out and hurt, and Gerald Green replaced him, it was a complete train wreck. They went they 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 went through stretches where their defensive rating was on a level worse than the seventy ers who were the worst in the league. It, it was that big of a disparity. Uh, sure the the offense also completely went through the roof, which I assume would do the same with Kevin Love and because he's basically a a souped up Channing Fry who was playing the four um the other angle is Alex Len who I'm much higher on than most people in this market and I would say across the league I saw if you any pretty much any time he played, I would go back and watch. His minutes over again and his length, athleticism, how he can move his feet laterally, how he can defend the pick and roll. It wasn't done consistently, but he has the tools to be a very, very good defensive player in this league. I just think it's going, I don't think it's going to be there for, I I think this season you want to keep him more towards 15 to 20 minutes. I don't think he's ready for that boost to 30 minutes, and I'm not sure when in this process that time's going to come when he's ready for that jump. So the timeline of you're making this deal for love and you're trying to win right now, I don't know how much that matches up with Alex Len's development.
1: Well, I mean, you'd... If you, if, I mean, if, if the good thing of is, you know going down this Phoenix rabbit hole is that uh, if you're making that the deal for Love, you're not just trying to win right now, though. I mean, you have, you, you know, he's he's not going anywhere. Uh, I mean, obviously, you don't make this deal unless you you know you can re-sign him. Um, so you're not you're not gambling. You're not trading Eric Bledsoe for you know Eric Bledsoe and picks for you know one year of Kevin Love and then maybe. So that's uh, assuming you re sign him. I mean, you, you maybe, you know, the first year you get some, you have some growing pains and, uh, you know, make the playoffs, and which is, you know, uh, would be a new experience for, for Kevin Love uh, and then go from there. Um, and to get back to Len you, you talk about, you know, extending his minutes up to 30. Uh, he's also, it seems like he might be, since he has kind of a, a history of, of, of some, you know, little nagging injuries, that he might be a guy who, is you're never really going to be able to extend that far. I, mean, I think that, uh, you know, switching gears a little bit, like uh, one thing that Indiana might need to do next year is is recognize that Roy Hibbert is a 25 minute a game player for the regular season because uh, you know he just he he, he he my operative theory about why he kind of fell off a cliff at the end of the year is. He's just tired. He's physically like like worn down, and it's not it's not a knock on his you know conditioning and work ethic. It's uh, uh, the fact that he's an enormous man who's not a you know the best natural athlete, and and he took a, and you know he he uh, his style of play he took a ton of hits, kind of like a you know a running back who just you know gets hit so much and then doesn't have that, that extra gear anymore, and that's, that seemed a little bit like him towards the end of the season.
0: I think that's a really logical theory with Hibbert, and I also think the suns if you make the trade for love, I do think if you make the trade for love, you may be acceler and yeah you're right he's gonna be here for a while, but I also do think you're accelerating your and trying to make your window start you you you're trading for Kevin Love and giving up your future assets to trying to start to win right now though and i think making a deal for a veteran rim protecting center some way with whatever leftover assets you have would make sense if you're in that phoenix position so maybe you can keep law Lo- you can keep len at a lower minute amount you use Plumlee in the trade to get the starting caliber player that you're looking for and you go from and you go from there because there could be there's a bond, and there's none really available this summer, but there's some guys on expiring contracts next summer that you can maybe look at to, to deal for in that situation.
1: Sure. Well, I, I mean, I've, I've got a, I've got a name for you of a guy who might be available this summer. He's not an expiring, but if you're if you're going in on Kevin Love, then you're going in. Uh, you know, find a way to see what the price on Larry Sanders is. His his contract looks looks not great right now, but he had, you know, largely through his own doing, he had kind of a nightmare season last year, uh, more due to off the court than on the court stuff. So, uh, do is he, is he a guy you take a gamble on? And maybe given that the uh, given the, the, the financial history of of the Suns organization right now, maybe that's just something that's that's just not going to happen. Uh, in terms of taking on that kind of money, but you know that's oh,
0: to, to be fair to Sarver they that that's I, the ownership money thing isn't really a problem. I actually I asked McDonough specifically about this off to the side after uh, his the last major press conference he had and he said he thought if they were building a championship caliber team, Sarver would have no problem going into the luxury tax and that's something he has done before.
1: You know, I, he, I. Of course, he's going to say that, but I mean, you look at you look at the you know when they had the, those Steve Nash teams. I mean, they're selling draft picks. They sold the draft pick that turned into all, all day. They sold the draft pick that turned into Rajon Rondo. So you know, the, the you know those big weakness of those teams was you know they they you know uh, a little bit like not, I mean not to make the comparison, but kind of like this Miami team. They ran out of bodies. And you know, a couple of having those, you know, first round picks, and, and one or two of those turn into rotation players, uh, would have made a big difference. And instead, they didn't want to pay a luxury tax. They wanted the three million dollars for selling the pick. So, I mean, unless something has changed in you know Sarver's willingness to spend money. Uh, which I uh, have we actually seen? Yes, the, the
0: answer, the answer okay. to that is yes. He's okay. with with the Shaq teams, he's gone over. They were in the luxury tax for multiple years, and his Sarver's core philosophies about how to run the team have changed since okay. those selling draft picks years.
1: Okay, well, that, I mean, that that's still. That, I'll, I'll defer to you as more of an insider, but that would still be the, the the thing that would give me pause. But still, so so tell me why that's a that's a crazy idea. I mean, it does. I, I it's entirely possible that uh, Larry Sanders is is available cheap this summer.
0: I like the player Larry Sanders. I don't mind the contract. The hesitation on the Phoenix end is they just sunk big money into a knucklehead and Michael Beasley, and it didn't work out. So I don't know if they would go down that road with the character concerns.
1: Yeah, though I mean, you know, they sunk big money into Michael Beasley who couldn't play. It's also the also the problem. Yes. And and that's you know uh, I'm kind of a believer in the one knucklehead rule where you can have one on a team and uh, and you know if you have a, a, a decent locker room and leadership you can deal with that. When you when you start getting more than one and, and you know they start, you know, rubbing together that's when that's when the when, when the problems start, and and so I you know I don't know enough about the, the personalities in Phoenix, but it seems like you know certainly Gerald Green in the past has probably been a knucklehead. At this point in his career, he seems like a like a, you know uh, having been knocked around a little bit. He's more of a I don't want to say professional, but but I, I can't think of a, a really a better term for you know a a guy who's who's going to you know show up and not you know not be a problem off the court. That, Seems,
0: he seemed like a really nice guy in all my dealings with yeah. him, and I haven't heard anything from anyone else yeah. any and, any different.
1: And and the word on him has never been that he's a bad guy. It's just you know, he's a guy who came into the league at 18 and wasn't, you know, super, wasn't, you know, worldly and mature.
0: The, the and, stupid shit we all did when we were 18 yeah, exactly. and 21 was the stuff he did, except it was in a much larger spotlight and it mattered and you know when when he
1: was in minnesota he gave some some you know unfortunate quotes uh you know to 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 reporters that that you know made it seem like he was being singled out for with his, his minutes getting bounced around instead of you know being the fault of his you know poor defense and shot selection so you know that kind of uh uh you know, Brit, I think uh, uh, Britt Robson, who's one of the the better Timberwolves columnists, had some, you know, some unkind things to say uh, say about him. Just in terms of, you know, in a couple of years when he's, you know, you know, playing s- somewhere in Europe, talking about how he could have made it in the NBA. You Remember this this conversation? And I think, I think, you know, from interviews with uh, with with Green, if you asked him about it, he'd he'd say, yeah, I didn't I didn't handle things very well, you know, in Minnesota and and after I got traded from Boston. So yeah. Tyson Chandler. I think Tyson's done. I think he. I mean, he's 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 approaching done. You know, it's, you talk about a window. I mean, what you you know, how how much how much does he have left? Can he give you a year? Can he give you two years? Gets the playoffs? Does he? Ha- is he? Is he still on his feet?
0: The Suns got yeah. positive <laughs> contributions out of Shaq when yeah. and Jermaine O'Neal when everyone thought they were dead. I don't think Tyson Chandler has approached the corpse level that those two players had. I think the Suns with their medical staff could get more out of Tyson than the Knicks can.
1: So tell me, what what do these guys do? Why are they, A, what do these guys do? And B, why why hasn't uh, a, a, a perennial contender... You know, throwing you know, you're you're talking about the five-year, twenty-five million-dollar offers that you know first-time coaches are getting. Uh, It seems like if you wanted to throw a bucket of money at an off-court, you know, group that you know will help your team, seems like the Phoenix medical staff would be a place to start.
0: (laughs) I brought that up with the Knicks before that they should do that. Um, I'm just going to defer you to Michael Schwartz from Valley of the Sun, wrote a story go read it <laughs> that, I'll, 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 I'll I'll shoot it to you I'll shoot it to you on Twitter
1: you know I ve- was he talking about they do a lot of like mobility work and and and, and stuff like that I think uh, am I am I mistaken
0: oh I'd, I haven't read the story and it, it, it came out almost two years ago but okay. I lean towards saying yes but I I'm not hundred percent sure they just they're magical yeah
1: I think I think I remember reading that. I I, uh, I passed it along to a, a, a friend of mine who's a who's a personal trainer, and she was and she was like, "This is exactly what I'm talking about," because someone who's always trying to get me to stretch more and you know open up my hips and stuff like that. So, yeah, <laughs>
0: it's kind of yeah, it's kind of like um, that magical myth that people talk about: the sun's medical staff does things that. I, and when Shaq came out here, it looked like he was done. And then just he had that first year where he was, he was all right. And then the next year, they didn't make the playoffs because Amari got hurt. But if you go and look up his numbers, he was like really, really good. He had games when he was dropping 30 points, and it was like, holy crap, is this really happening with this guy? Um, Got anything you want to plug? We're going on an hour. I'll like let you go and wrap this up. You got anything you want to plug and get out there?
1: Oh uh, no just uh, I'll probably have have more some, some stuff coming out on uh, on Hickory high and, and the the fancy the, the fancy uh, stats blog on the Washington Post uh, talking about the finals and and some other stuff um, I, I have uh, I, I have other stuff that I that I know is coming out uh, in the next month or so that I can't really plug yet because uh, it's not done so <laughs> I, uh, when, when I write, I, it's a struggle for me to uh, to stay to stay short. So I have some long form stuff uh, that that I'm excited about coming out in the, in the near future, but nothing imminent.
0: You want to give your Twitter handle one more time?
1: Sure. It's it's where offense happens uh, without the vowels, except for the O, because Twitter wouldn't let me uh, have all those. So it's W H R O F F. And S, H-P-P-N-S, and you're right that's that's a bad handle but, oh,
0: but that was um, a much better way of describing it than I yeah did. <laughs> I mean,
1: if, if if you look at it, I mean, it looks like where offense happens because that's the name of my of of, of my blog. So and, and uh, uh, yeah, and, and I guess check my stuff out there. We've been we've been uh, doing a podcast about once a week there with with various stuff. Uh, I uh, last one I did was with uh, with with your your good buddy uh, Kevin McElroy, and we had, we had a good time with that. So, yeah. So
0: after you listen to this, you can go listen to that and uh, go look at all the things Seth just told you. And that wraps up, actually, the uh, final ever edition of the Nick Wall Podcast. Uh, it's moving somewhere else after this. And uh, thank you for to Jonah for giving the, me the voice and letting me do all this stuff on his website. That's it, and uh, we'll talk to everyone again soon.